Hello and welcome to this IBR Extra, a podcast from the Iowa Business Report. I'm Jeff Stein. In the 37th edition of our program, which aired during the second weekend of September 2020, we talked about a different aspect of building a strong workforce. Thanks to a broad coalition of Iowa leaders in business, education, media, healthcare, public safety, governance, and the faith community, the foundation for that workforce is being built just as some young people are learning to write. Peter Komandowski is president of the Partnership for a Healthy Iowa, working to unite Iowans to identify high-risk behaviors and implement strategies for building healthy communities. Partnership for Healthy Iowa works on two primary areas of concern. One, the reduction of youth high-risk behavior through development of program, tools, resources, or connecting people with resources. And secondly, to connect communities to work together uh, with business, with the chamber, with the prevention, with faith-based people, with governance, to, to recognize the fact that high-risk behavior in youth is one of the most important challenges that we face. You know, we have a wonderful farming community in Iowa. And if you're a farmer and you look at your field and you see an invasive weed or a problem, boy, it becomes an immediate priority. Well, I contend and our organization contends that our number one most important crop in Iowa are children. And when we see threats that will affect them in a negative way, that we should address them with the same urgency and the same resolve as we would in business or agriculture. But it occurs to me as you say that, if I'm a farmer and I see a weed, I know exactly how to take care of that and prevent the problem. Much more difficult when you're talking about humans, young people in particular. Exactly correct. You know, we see threats like the opiate epidemic, addiction to media, um, emerging all the time, and there's always an argument, well, you know, how, how do we know that this is really a problem? When you know, one side saying it's not a problem at all, one side is, well, that's the legacy of agriculture is that for years and years they've been working on these problems. Now, in social problems, say like alcohol or drug-free workplace, we know that these are problems. And for years and years, we've not been effective in working on them. And that's why we have this challenge before us. We want healthy workplaces. We want healthy communities. We want our children to grow up with the best opportunities possible. Um, we have with us, the difference is when you plow your field at the end of the year and you start a new field, guess what? You can address all the previous problems and do it. We don't plow people under. So the, the problems- There's no the, reset button. No reset button at all. So all the problems that are inherited generationally or even in a business context, if your business has evolved to treat people differently or work differently or use different mechanics when it's become uh, using more computers or something where we have to sort of get different cultures connected within our own culture, <laughs> uh, you know, a technological culture and a non-tech culture, things like that. Um, we don't have that reset. So we always have to – it's like that same plant grows forever. <laughs> and we have to culture better soil, better nutrients, better ways to deal with it. So, yeah, you make a great point. In farming, we can get some immediacy and we have a new season every year. But the season of humanity has been around for a few thousand years at least. And we're still trying to get it and right. We're still trying to get it right. So as we talk about this concept, this endeavor, as it's tied to business, mm -hmm. it is not a direct correlation in that you don't work with people currently involved in business. But when we're talking about the number one issue facing Iowa business is workforce and workforce mm -hmm. development, 
That's where you come in at a very early stage. Over 30 years ago when this was founded by Senator Grassley and the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, um, Public Health, the Department of Education, the faith community got together, um, Senator Harkin, a lot of people combined. They targeted drugs, alcohol, and tobacco. And we were then called Partnership for a Drug-Free Iowa and also the Face It Together Coalition. So we had a coalition of people. So we recognized the fact that for workforce development, for healthy children, for best educational outcomes, for the healthiest and safest communities, we need to deal with the problem of alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. Now, we've rebranded as a healthy Iowa because now we have problems with excessive media use, things like multitasking, um, human trafficking, sexting, bullying, suicide ideation by kids. The world of technology, not only has it opened up tremendous opportunities for business, unchecked and unmanaged children now have access to a world that's not like the world of their parents. It's like the crop is growing in an entirely new environment, and there are a lot of challenges that we face. People, no doubt, are familiar with the moniker Partnership for a Drug-Free Iowa. Mm -hmm. But again, the issues are broader, and rather than have so many duplicate agencies, it's all under one rubric. It occurs to me, and and this is as someone who doesn't have children. Mm -hmm. Yes, I taught college students, but they were much older. It seems like you might be able to reach young people say, kindergarten through sixth grade, and that's at one level. But then when they get to middle school, then when they get to high school, is it true you almost have to re-educate so that they can relearn because there are so many different temptations for teens as opposed to the younger people? Well, I think inherently as human beings, we are drawn to some things that are risky. Let's have another drink. Let's do this. Even it might be sleep deprivation. It might be an extra donut. It's sort of our nature. We have all kinds of neurophysiologists talking about how this happens. It's sort of rooted in our our freedom. Just like we talk about capitalism, laissez-faire capitalism being like an inalienable human right. People want to believe that we have the right to experiment with our own bodies and everything else. But one one of the important things about being human today, too, is also to be great stewards of our culture. We have stop signs. We have speed limits. We have rules that we've learned make this a better world. And sometimes when we have a a challenge of having to set up rules, people are very resistant to it. But over time, they begin to recognize that it's important. Now, we have two major factors that have really influenced the world today. One is that technology has made it move at an extremely fast pace. I often talk about life at the speed of being human. If your head is in a computer screen or on a television, that's why we sometimes love radio and TV and reading, you know, when it's local, you know, or newspapers, local stuff, because then people are drawn to the actual stories and things that are there. But because the media is so driven to promote, well, the idea of getting your money, (laughs) selling you stuff, that they have... It's a commercial model. It's a commercial model. So we now have a world that lives at at, the speed of media. And you don't notice stuff. You know, that media, the news moves fast. They go quick, 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 really clips. They bounce information in your brain. You don't even recognize it's going there. And so when you're with somebody, like we're doing this show here, we're looking at each other. Man, this is a conversation. This doesn't happen in tweets. doesn't happen in emails. doesn't even happen as effectively in Zoom because it's still a two-dimensional image. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this, this radical change has put us all into a position where if you're a business owner, you're saying, how do I deal with this? You know, you might have, when you think about it, smartphones have been around 11 years now. Computers, maybe 30. Um, we have, if you look like a, a, take a sixth or seventh or eighth grade student, 
their their parents might be from Generation Z, Generation Y, millennials, baby boomers. They could be from anywhere, and all of them are like different kinds of people, like you're from a different country. Mm-hmm. And so we have this great mixing, which does two things. It creates great opportunity for people to learn new things, but it also creates opportunities for people to want to exploit the use of that media to influence people's behavior. So while we got really good at like tobacco, we got really good at drugs, and we got really good at alcohol, all of a sudden they came out with more flavored drinks and more this. They came out with vaping instead of that. They redirect the public from where they see the danger, and sometimes the scientific correlations aren't there. And I think we've looked at this even when you look at that Friedman book about the world is flat. We've noticed that in business, oftentimes people that would compete with local businesses and businesses here will often make claims greater than what is the potential. So you have the local business that makes a claim that's, say, an honest claim for the most part. Well, then somebody that's got something outside wants to sell it for half the price and hurt their business can make all sorts of claims. So we see that with vaping being healthy when it, we know it's not, marijuana being healthy when we know it's not. You know, and the media has allowed this to propagate. So now we have to learn. I mean, just imagine if farmers had to grow a new crop every month. You know, 15 years ago, it was once a year. Now it's 12 times a year. Their brains would blow up. <laughs> well, in a sense, that's what we're doing to our kids and, and what we're all learning to adapt to in this world. How do we deal with this excessive saturation of technology while retaining the importance of being human, the values, the morals, the ethics, and the habits that keep us healthy and safe? Peter Komandowski is president of Partnership for a Healthy Iowa, online at ahealthyiowa.org. A few moments ago, you talked about people get to a certain age and they start thinking, well, I can do this, it's my body, I can try this, I can try that, all of which is fair, except you need accurate information so that you can make the conscious decision with regard to any sort of behavior, whether it is spending too much time in front of a screen or where you carry your cell phone or you use the example of vaping. Seemed like a wonderful alternative until it was realized it really isn't a wonderful alternative. And so that's one of the, the key missions, is it not, to drive education to all citizens, but to do so in a way that does not appear to be selling or preaching. That's a fine line in this culture. Yeah, and I'll give you sort of an example of that. There's two things we're working on, not only to turn people into more skeptical consumers, think more scientifically and a little bit better. But the other thing is to also remind them of where the real spheres of influence are important. If you sort of look at concentric circles, the the family might be the closest one, and then your close community, your schools, your faith, and everything else, and then the the community at large and the rest of the world. There's an interesting paradox that that we see in in what's been happening to what I'd call sort of the breakdown in culture. We're trying to rebuild it. People are are recognizing this. let's, Let's use the example of a driver's license. You give a child a driver's license, they take driver's ed, you get insurance. As a parent, you, you, your brain just gets twisted up. And Okay, when do I let him drive? Where do I go? Okay, be home by 10. You can go here. A million rules, not the least of which also rules for what you do when you're out on the road. Well, we hand them a computer. Think about this. It's in the house. We hand young kids computers and smartphones. They can go to human trafficking, sexting, ultraviolence, all of these places, right sitting next to their parent in the living room with no license, no training. Now, we recognize this probably... I don't know this. I should check it. A hundred years ago, any kid could get in the car and drive. If the dad gave him the car keys, he'd drive the car. No licensing, no insurance. You know, that's what they did. And people learned that we need to have a methodology. Well, this technology has come on us so fast that we have children using very high-powered tools 
to traverse into worlds that no parent would allow their children to get. So what's the key? Better parental monitoring. I mean, businesses are seeing this. People are doing their own private stuff while they're on the computer at work when they should be working. We need these speed limits, so to speak, these maps for where you can and cannot go and how you can be safe. And so it's, we were learning. We're trying to reintegrate them. You mentioned the fact that people think it's right. Once you have a taste of this, I mean, imagine a guy that's got to drive a car without having a license. Now they tell him he's got to go get, take a class and get a license. He's gonna go, Are you kidding me? This is I what we're drive. doing. Look, I yeah. just did. I don't need any license. I don't need any training. I can do this. So technology is teaching us now we've got to go and rebuild the rules of engagement mm-hmm. to make it work. And to some degree, and again, I'm not a parent and I don't mean to criticize parents, but how many use a screen? Back in our day, it might have been a television. Now it is a tablet, a phone, whatever. And they use that to stimulate the mind, they think, or educate or entertain the child. Let's face it, keep the child quiet while they're doing something else. And what they've done, not to be flipped, that's the gateway drug, is it not, for them to then take the next logical step and see what they can get away with because kids like to push the envelope. I raised my children. I thought, hey, a video game. They're going to be busy. I can do what I got to do. We didn't realize the risks. Sure. Television, we didn't realize the risks. You know, when there was one TV in the house, it was a family experience. I mean, I, I like to tell parents when they ask me, like, what do you mean about getting more in contact with the kids? I say, okay, when you take children on a camping trip, and a lot of people could relate to that or mm-hmm. go with a family, you don't hand them each a bundle of sticks and a match and say, go make your own fire. You all gather around a fire. You build that concentric circle of family where you understand the values, the morals, the ethics, the behaviors that are acceptable. We get into an average home today after school with child's up in a computer in one room, mom's on her smartphone, dad may be in a computer. Everybody goes, they should be gathering and doing these things together. Then there's that inherent supervision, the inherent sharing of values. If they're watching TV and something is too violent or too sexual or, or too politically incorrect, a parent could say, see, that's not really good. And so... At least the children then, as you talked about teaching them, become more skeptical. And the parents, oh, there's not good stuff here too. It's not all good for you. <laughs> like going in a grocery store. You know, you can pick really healthy foods <laughs> or unhealthy. It's a free country. <laughs> Take your pick. But what are going to be the outcomes for your family and your future when you make those choices? And this is what we're trying to teach with technology. And it breaks down right into addiction when you talk about the opioid epidemic and the advertising of opioid medications and all the crazy things that have been happening. Well, free choice, but with proper information again as you go back. And and it occurs to me as you're talking, one of the things that people actually with pride say they do is that they binge watch mm-hmm. things, whether it's on TV or the computer, and they'll watch six hours of this at a time. Well, it, it feeds into that immersion or saturation behavior, and it's hard to get out of it when you condition yourself to just stay on one track, whether it's watching one TV show or other forms, I would suggest, of addiction. Now, again, I'm speaking without any qualifications, but it seems to me that there are some parallels. Well, there are. The, the fact is, though, that there's a lot of media that's good media. Sure. And, and some occasional binge-watching is, is going to be fine. And if, if somebody likes to have an alcoholic beverage and maybe have two or three if they're home, not driving, not out in public, you know, probably wouldn't be the healthiest thing. But you know, we're not about condemning people's ability to do these things. We are trying to make them cognizant of the fact that what are the choices? Like we have sound research that says if you lower your screen time, or let's, let's start with children. If you lower their screen time, I mean just fundamentally lower it since the majority of it is not good or healthy. It's not educational. It's not talking to grandma. Mm-hmm. They have a lower BMI and better health. They sleep better and they get better grades. So if you want your child to have better grades, limit their screen time. If you want them to be more pro-social, 
and more understanding, a better human being. Keep them from playing violent video games. You know, we have this culture. We, I mean, I'm a, I'm a faith-based person. I think the idea of thou shalt not kill is a really good idea. And yet we have millions and millions of kids and young adults playing computer games where they kill things over and over and over again. Why does that law disappear when we get into a computer? That was my example about that driver's license. Mm -hmm. We suspend the rules that are the most humane, the most compassionate, the most loving. See, these computers, they do not replace hugs. They do not replace caring of people looking at each other, sharing some time together. As a matter of fact, they steal that time. And they replace it with something much less fulfilling. Hence the reason we call it addictive. Hence the reason there's this onus of negativism to it, if you do it too much or too obsessively. But the tool, it opens up the world. We know what's going on everywhere. We can communicate with people. I mean, if you use the good parts of it. My God, I talk about a hammer. You build a house with it, a benevolent tool. It's built half this country with a hammer before we had power hammers. Hit somebody in the head with it. Not so good. Well, computers are tools. The good internet's a tool. You know, scientists will tell you that there isn't enough computing power on the face of the earth to replicate one human brain. That's how powerful the brain is. So we've never told a hammer, you are intelligent. You made me do this. Mm-hmm. No. Why do we ascribe so much intelligence? Well, think about it. Artificial intelligence. Artificial. Artificial's not real. <laughs> um, the whole industry has created this idea, this onus of intelligence, so that they can convince people to believe in what they're saying. It's, it's an amazing thing. It can be used intelligently, like using a hammer properly, but it inherently of its own right does not have intelligence or moral and ethical standards. You ask Google, find me the closest restaurant. It doesn't know what food tastes like. It doesn't know how you feel. It doesn't understand a dopamine response. Those are algorithms that humans generate based on behavior, just exterior actions in this tool. Mm-hmm. So that hammer, instead of building a house, probably beating the heck out of the life you could be spending with your kids, your wife, your friends in person, doing fishing, walking, biking, any number of things. So that tool used properly is redefining the world. The business and the ability to be efficient, to manage education, it's doing great things for medicine, Mm -hmm. but used improperly has tremendous power to hurt. And when you mention the video games, not only is it a method to kill something over and over, but you're rewarded. For doing it, you get more points, etc. Peter Komandowski, President, Partnership for a Healthy Iowa, online, ahealthyiowa.org. How do you then, through various programs, what are some of the manners in which you try to effect positive change so that this group of young people grows up to be as productive members of society as they possibly can be, realizing their potential, whether it's personally or in the business environment. One way is I actually do what we preach, is I go into communities, I go to schools, I talk to faith-based groups, I work with chambers, with businesses. I, everywhere that they'll have me, I go. We, you know, we're we're a, a nonprofit that depends on donations. We charge nothing for our services. We have an extensive curriculum available online free for people, for schools on digital literacy. We have a ton of content that teachers and educators are downloading from our resources page on our website to use in their online teaching for children. So we, you know, when we're developing new curricula on digital citizenship and stuff constantly, so we try and provide more resources and then, of course, turn people on to resources. We don't reinvent the wheel. You know, if there's somebody out there doing a great job, we promote them. So I'm out there talking to people and I'm saying these, there are things, there are solutions here. There's good things that can happen here. 
Sometimes it's as simple as saying, if it feels like this in your heart that something's wrong, you open your child's door and he's glued to a screen, there is something wrong. Invite him down to have a cup of hot chocolate. Go and just give him a hug out of nowhere. They'll quickly recognize They'll be suspicious. They might be suspicious, but I tell <laughs> but you that what. That will alert their senses, will it not? I have yet to find a family member that you hug, even, even by surprise. They might be initially suspicious, but they feel better. Sure. And so, you know, by getting out there talking to people, recognizing that we're not stuck on this train. It's not a runaway train. We just need to redirect our children. And the curricula we develop for schools helps Kids learn how to use these tools to better their lives and to improve their well-being and their health and their happiness. Ultimately, that's really important. We also have a drug-free workplace program that complies with state laws, available for free, downloadable on our website. So any employer that wants to enhance the community, and here's a fascinating thing. An employer that invests in drug-free workplace, the mechanics of it, somehow at least opens the conversation, talks about it, doesn't leave it a taboo conversation has a tremendous influence on productivity. Because when we look at the stats, we see some of the highest level of absenteeism, not by people that are drug and substance users. They're from the good people that don't use them that are caring for someone in the home or household that is a user. So that way a business extends its reach well into the community and into families by providing resources to help people deal with this. I mean, it's a real problem, alcohol, substance abuse, tobacco. Uh, businesses are doing a great job in Iowa dealing with it, but it's one of those things we try to connect with too. So if there's a small business that needs resources without having to spend a lot of money, we make sure they're available on the website for them. And again, as you noted, these are not silos. What you learn in the workplace, you can take home with you. What you learn at home translates to the workplace. What people learn at the workplace is passed down to their children, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all at ahealthyiowa.org. All the contact information you need is there, including all of those resources that Mr. Komandowski just mentioned. But again, if you have questions, you're available and encourage folks to contact you if they have a specific need or a specific question on how they might address a situation. The website will give them emails, even my personal phone number. They're welcome to call me. Thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate the time. You're so very welcome. Peter Komandowski is president of the Partnership for a Healthy Iowa. You can learn more by going to their website, ahealthyiowa.org. We spoke in Waterloo on September 1st. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry is a supporter of the Iowa Business Report, radio program, and podcast. The Iowa Business Report airs weekly on dozens of radio stations across the state of Iowa, with the podcast posted right here every week, along with additional IBR extras and IBR business profiles. I'm Jeff Stein for the Iowa Business Report.